Welcome to the Sport of Business podcast, powered by 321GO Project. Name one of 2015's forward thinkers by Entrepreneur Magazine. 321GO Project provides business coaching, online marketing, branding, and education for the fitness entrepreneur. For more, visit 321GOProject.com. Welcome, listeners, to the Sport of Business podcast. We are so excited today to be joined by Julie Weldon. Um, and if that sounds familiar, Julie is Clay Weldon, the founder of 321Go Project Sister. Uh, and Julie is coming to us with a lot of experience in, in the world of business. So not just in the world of the CrossFit business or the gym business, but um, working on a very high level with a lot of large companies uh, doing some consulting and business development with them. Um, this includes uh, working as a people and change consultant for PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, working on taking a tangible product to market, uh, working as a cake designer, uh, working in not-for-profit organizations, and um, also working as a small business consultant as well. So uh, Julie brings with her a wealth of, of knowledge and experience in, in all different areas of business. Uh, but Julie, I kind of want to just throw it to you a little bit to kind of uh, – Tell the listeners about some of the awesome things you've learned while developing your very extensive resume. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, so excited to be on here with you guys. Um, so I think, you know, as I was thinking about that, the really interesting theme that goes through every one of those different experiences, because my resume is really varied. And so one might look at it and go, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense how you could get from a cake designer to traveling to 13 developing countries to a consultant, blah, blah, blah. The, the theme that really drives my life is people. Um, and so obviously they're everywhere you go, unless you're going to be a hermit in Timbuktu, um, which is probably where I won't ever end up. Um, but, but yeah, the, the theme really is people and helping people realize their full potential. So whether that is um, you know, in the jungles of Guatemala or um, in the CrossFit world, um, it, it's really all the same. Kind of the, the common denominator is, um, is people and really helping them understand themselves so that they can go to the next level. So in, in times when you've worked for very large, like more multinational corporations, and now you're starting to... Uh, do business consulting with, you know, single owner operator businesses. Are there, are there commonalities between these two things as it relates to people? Oh, absolutely. And the most interesting commonality to me that I am blown away by, honestly, is that the people at the top of major organizations, while very, very talented, obviously, and very, very smart, um, feel lonely. Um, and so they run an organization and hundreds of people, if not thousands of people look to them for leadership. Um, and at the top, you've heard it, I'm sure, but at the top is the most loneliest place. So wherever that top is, whether it's within a large corporate organization or the top of a gym, 
um, you know, owning a gym, it, it's tough. It is really, really tough. And, um, and every one of us get to a point where we're sitting at our computers, staring at them, feeling paralyzed, going, I don't know what my next move should be. It doesn't matter who we are. Across the board, we all get to that point. So that is a very, very um, strong commonality that honestly always su- not surprises me, but um, just kind of levels the playing field. You know, you're you're starting to like strike a chord with me right now on, on a very personal level of having this feeling of, you know, I think that a lot of times we perceive ourselves as business owners as, you know, oh, when I arrive at this certain spot, then I'll be happy or I'll be satisfied then. But I almost think by nature, entrepreneurship sort of pre-selects people that will, that will always be a little bit uncomfortable, always be looking for the next thing, always looking to build. So it's in a way uh, comforting to know that like <laughs> these people that are in charge of millions of employees are feeling the same things that we sort of feel on a day-to-day basis, right? Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. Yes. And so, you know, I go back and forth and I go, okay, is it harder to be the, the one in charge of a, you know, thousands and thousands of people organization, billion dollar organization, or to run a gym? And honestly, it's a toss up. And that may sound really silly or ignorant or whatever, but when you're running a gym and you've got Maybe you're the only person or you're working with a partner um, and maybe you're not seeing eye to eye with your partner or you've got a, you've got two or three coaches and you're trying to manage them. The thing about a gym owner that just um, impresses me every time I talk to a good one is that they manage every activity that has to happen within a gym. So the executive, the CEO of a major organization has people that do all of that for him or her. The gym owner is the one that needs to wear 20 or 30 hats over the course of a day. Um, And to me, sometimes at the end of the day, that's a bigger challenge Um, because to know how to set up, how to, how to set up your P and L, how to manage your P and L, how to coach your coaches, how to deal with member retention, how to um, make sure the bathrooms get clean. And the, the list is endless for a gym owner. It's a tough spot to be in. I'll tell you what, like having, Having um, stepped in and managed a business, sort of act as as an executive for an existing business, and now having built one, uh, these are two entirely different skill sets. And the emotional, Absolutely. you know, the emotional impact on those is, is in, entirely different. Like, you know, you you kind of jog my memory. I had this interesting experience in a previous career where we we're interviewing for managers for this position. And I remember interviewing this guy who had owned his own business. And for like, you know, I think like three or four years, he had owned this business and he was a creative type. And and in the interview, I, I was sort of baffled because I've always felt this like, you know, I've always enjoyed the risk of owning a business for some reason, like yeah. that just has always drawn me to it. And I remember talking to this guy and he's like, I just, I did, it wasn't me. Like, you know what I mean? I entrepreneurship, uh, you know, I was really good at being a creative. I was really good at all yeah. of these things. I was an excellent technician, but those sort of intangible aspects of leadership and entrepreneurship didn't really jive with me. Mm. And yeah, 
<laughs> no, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Cause I, I love where you're going. Well, and I see, I see a lot of gym owners coming up against this um, mm-hmm. as well and, and kind of coming to grips with what, what being an awesome gym looks like, what being an awesome coach looks like. And then these other aspects of entrepreneurship, sort of these intangible parts of, 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 uh, opening and running your own business being, um, it's a, it's tough. Like it really is tough, right? Yeah, it's really tough. And so here's the, here's the challenge because in my experience of working with gym owners, um, and, and small businesses for that matter, people start it because they love the idea of what it is they're starting it around. Right. So they love the idea of helping people, um, talking about their fitness, really helping them um, understand nutrition, all of those things, that's kind of what drives them. And it makes me think of the book, E-Myth Revisited. If, you ha- if you're listening to this podcast and you own a gym and you haven't read that book, absolutely read it. It is a fantastic resource for the small business owner. But side note. Um, it should be mandatory reading it, at the business license oh, office of every city. Absolutely. Just because it's um, nobody, not very, okay, not nobody. Very few people go into opening a gym with an MBA. Very few. Um, there are some out there for sure. But so to get your hands on resources like the E-Myth, where it's just chock full of very useful advice is a good thing. Um, I, I will say this, and this is a... Um, Honestly, it's a shameless plug for 321Go. Um, the reason why I came on board and how I started with 321Go is, is Clay actually reached out to me through my business consulting group to provide consulting to him so that he could help grow 321Go. When I got involved with him, yes, he is my brother, but honestly, it, the relationship is a lot deeper than that and stronger than that. I looked at him as a businessman and I said, that is someone that I want to work with. In my consultancy firm, we are very selective with who we work with. Um, So with Clay, what I learned about him, he knows he's not good at everything, right? He is really good at some things. And so what he has done is he's formed a team around him who are good at the things that he does not excel at. And that's the key to being a good leader. No leader knows how to do everything, not one of them. So if somebody tells you that they're an expert in all different things, run as fast as you can. The difference is with a good leader is that they recognize their weaknesses, they recognize where they're not good, and then they point you in the direction of people who really excel in that. So that is, it's not a plug, it's really not a plug for 321Go, but it's saying as you run your business as a CrossFit gym owner, figure out you, what are you good at, what are you not good at, and then surround yourself with people smarter than you who will help take you to the next level. That's such a, I, you know, I was just having a discussion over this last weekend about politics, which totally don't, don't ever do that. Just never have this discussion with people. <laughs> or religion or what was the other thing? <laughs> most yeah. things actually. Right, most, most yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this like interesting, I had this really interesting thought, you know, we were talking about the field of candidates through, you know, going, so we're in the, you know, you, the, the primaries in the United States right now are, are going on. I'm sure everybody's seen all the different candidates and things like that. But the thing that really struck me in this conversation was all of these leaders are, it's, 
it's weird because they're all saying that they have all the answers. And for some reason that really makes me feel uncomfortable. And I know, and I know that that's what it takes to get elected. And, and that's not, I mean, this is obviously not the topic of today's podcast, but it's a great example of how not to lead, you know, to, to that point is recognizing what you're good at, knowing that you can't do anything. Um, gosh, I, I can't tell you how many, uh, how many gym owners I've talked to, to, you know, it's like, are you really going to be the best one at scrubbing your toilets? Or is there like a 16 year old kid who would love to make $15 an hour, Hmm. you know, for whom, you know, I remember being, I remember being 16 and getting a job and I was paid like $6 and 20 cents an hour or something. And that was a fortune to me. That meant I could take my girlfriend out to Carlos (laughs) O'Kelly's and, and like we could go out to Carlos O'Kelly's after two weeks. And that was like the best thing in the world for me because that was the highest value thing that I could do for that time. And, and so as gym owners, I think it's really important for us to look at what are those things that we suck at or will not put our, our full effort into yeah. and, and really offload those types of things. Yeah, you know what? I um I, I read this once um and it's it really has struck um a major chord with me. So for example, if you're a gym owner and you want to make we're gonna take a random number, a random round number, you wanna make a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? I mean, we'd all love to make six figures. So if you're if you wanna make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you wanna work 40 hours a week. You've got to figure out, you've got to do the math. Everything's determined by math. You've got to figure out what your rate per hour would be. Okay. At those numbers, $100,000 at 40 hours a week, your rate per hour would be 48 bucks an hour. All right. So what is $48 an hour worth to you? I came up to you and I said, all right, you know what, Matt, here's rounded up 50 bucks. Here's 50 bucks. I want you to go clean the bathrooms and that's going to take you what an hour to Mm -hmm. do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 50 bucks, I'm going to give you that to, pay the, to do the bathrooms. Now, like you just said, I've got a college kid who would charge me 11 bucks an hour and that's paying them, that's paying them good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry about that. Um, and that's paying, them, that's paying them well. So you have just saved by bringing somebody else on, you have just saved, rounded up again, $40. Now you multiply that out times the week and now you're talking some major numbers. So it's actually more costly for you to think you can do it all. So for example, say, say you read something online that says, okay, you can do your own website. Okay. Okay. Fine. Go ahead. Try to do your own website. Um, and it is going to take you so much more time to learn how to do it than to go ahead and pay that number that feels expensive to you to just go ahead and have somebody else do it for you. Um, and so I, I heard this quote recently that it says, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, think of how much it's going to be when you hire an amateur. Mm-hmm. And if you let, let that soak in for a minute, if you hire an amateur, the back end work of what you have to do to clean it up and fix it, or you hire yourself to do something that you're not really good at is going to cost you as a gym owner way more money. So you have to compare the numbers and say, which one makes more sense? You know, I had a, um, I had this boss when I was in college, I worked in a, um, sort of like a, a pub, like an English style pub with a fine dining, 
uh, portion, you know, this sort of fine dining atmosphere. And the guy that owned it was this like real hard ass British guy that had worked for the, in the British Navy as an engineer for like 25 years. The, and the, the guy was brilliant, but he was, I mean, he was a jerk. I'm going to be completely honest. He was probably the hardest boss I've ever had. But one thing that he always used to tell me is I, you know, I used to kind of like hustle on one side of the, on one side of the bar. I would try and hustle for as many tables with like 20, $25 ticket items as possible. I'm and visualizing would, that. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> and, and on the other half of this restaurant was this fine dining, like seven course prefix with like four or $500 um, tickets on the other side. And he would always tell me as I was, as I would hustle for more tables, he would grab me at the end of the night and he, he was like, kind of rough, you know, grab you by the shoulder and kind of like, and he would be like, you're penny wise and pound foolish, hmm. you know? And he's like, you know, you're comfortable over here cranking out all these tables for five bucks each. He's like, he's like, learn how to do that next door. He's like up your hourly rate, go next door, serve one table and you'll make 200 bucks on one table. Mm. Like, wow. That's awesome. He, and, and so he sort of, I mean, even though he never told me this, he was sort of framing this, to, this idea to me, like exactly like what you're talking about, this idea mm-hmm. of moving on to this higher level role, understanding where you can excel and knowing what to give up. Oh, absolutely. And, and this idea of like being, being penny wise and pound foolish has, has carried on with me for like, and now in business, I use that every day. Like, do you know what? I could pay a hundred dollars to have a toilet installed or I could lose $500 by doing it myself. Yeah. And then the residual of that is that two weeks from now, the, you know, coxine bus, and now you have to, now you have a leak on your floor that you're having to deal with. And so I think that carries over exactly like you said, in everything to do with business. Um, so, so absolutely, you know, look for a mentor, but find the things that you're really good at and then surround yourself with other people who can do those things and, and that you can't. Mm, mm, yeah. I, if I could now like go back and have back all of the time that I spent trying to DIY things when I, mm. when I had the, you know, I had the revenues in my business to do so, but for some reason I had this mentality that I need to DIY it because, because I'm the business owner, because I'm the entrepreneur, I need to learn it. And, um, you know, and and by all means, I mean, we're not advocating that you spend money that you don't, you know, don't necessarily have, or don't necessarily need to spend money on, but understanding where there's places to make investments in your business and understanding how to do so responsibly, responsibly, and using some of the time that you saved by not doing that to honestly like generate more revenue. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a way, um, as you're talking, I think you're making some awesome points. I think a way to think about it is, okay, I'm going to make an investment in something that's going to pay me back in dividends, right? So for example, a gym owner, you have to ask yourself the question, am I ever going to become a plumber, right? If the answer to that is no, hire a plumber for an hour to install a toilet. But if you do want to become a plumber, then absolutely Google the heck out of becoming a good plumber and learn how to really install a toilet. So it carries over with everything from marketing automation. Oh my gosh, we've had so many conversations with people who, the survey that we did, the survey that we put out, the biggest issue is 
what I want to invest in this year is marketing, automation, and websites. So people want to get more, um, kind of capture more of an audience. So that's fine. If you want to really invest in knowing how to do marketing automation, absolutely. There's, there are resources out there for you to learn and you can become better at it. But what's interesting is if we were to poll the majority of those people who said, I want to be better at marketing automation, the majority of them, I would venture a guess, haven't done anything about learning marketing automation. They're just saying, I will do that. Or you, you like kind of dabble into an article here, an article there, and you don't really get a good handle on it. When, if you would have invested a little bit of money up front with somebody who's already done all that research, you could have had marketing campaigns in place already. You know, and honestly, whether or not it's three, two, one, go, that's not the, that's not the thing. I mean, we do our job and we do it well, but there are people out there that you can research and invest in who will do a much better job for you than if you were to spend time figuring it out yourself. One, and, and not only that, but by the time you figure it out, it's probably going to be different. You know, there's, it is. And, yep. and, and, and that's exactly, it's, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a way to, you know, it, you know, it's analogous to, like, we talk about training efficacy, like, how good is your program? You know, you know, there's people out there that are dedicated to best practices and research, and that by the time, you know, by the time the, the research shifts on, like, okay, well, what kind of training volume should we have? How many pull-ups should we do yeah. a week? By the time that research shifts, it, we've already moved on, you know ah. what I mean? And yes. Yes. And that's so frustrating for me as somebody who is taking a product to market, a tangible product to market. It's, it's so um, impossible for me to stay on top of the good apps to use, the good programs to use, the good. It's impossible because every day new, better mousetraps are coming along. And so the, the smarter thing as a business owner is to invest in the things that you're not going to become an expert at. You don't have any desire to do that. Now, coaching, all day long, invest in being a better coach because that's what's going to make your gym better. Being a better leader, all day long, invest in being a better leader because being a better leader is going to make your gym have a culture that is dynamic and irresistible and it will differentiate you from the 10 or 20 other gyms in your, in your network. That's one thing that we've heard about a t that I've heard a ton is how saturated the CrossFit market's becoming. So people are trying to figure out how do I differentiate myself? How do I open myself up to more people than just, you know, the meatheads who are looking to get big and compete in the games and all of that. And so the differentiator honestly is how you treat your people. That's it. That if you invite people in and follow up with them and care for them and actually listen to them and listen to what matters to them and not just how you think you want to build your gym, holy cow, you're differentiated. And, and I think that that begins at the top. We, we hear all the time is like, you know, gosh, uh, the, the question we get all the time is how do I get more people in the door? And you've got one camp that is like, Oh, you just need excellent coaching to, for, for that to happen, which is true. You need excellent coaching to retain people, but, uh, above excellent coaching is excellent leadership. 
Yeah, absolutely. What, you know, what encourages a coach to stick around? And that is a strong leader that gives them opportunities, that gives them inspiration for the future, that allows, I mean, honestly, we always talk about the business owner and their perfect day, but just as much as your perfect day is your employee's perfect day as well. Oh, absolutely. And I would think every gym owner's perfect day includes making their coaches be as successful as possible. You know, I, I mean, that to me would be a no brainer kind of table stakes. And so if that's the case, um, focusing on your team will make them stay around longer. They will. We want to, we want to be a part of a community. That's what CrossFit is all about. And so it's taking a step back as the leader of the organization and saying, what is the temperature of my culture? Like what, what does my community really look like? And the way that you do that is begin asking people and do it anonymously or have someone, someone else ask, um, but really open yourself up to constructive criticism and feedback so that you can become a better person as a leader and a better gym. That's huge. Um, so I know, Julie, we obviously had these grand plans for this podcast today, to, or I at least did stay on topic. But as usual, when we get talk, to talking about something that um, we're both obviously very passionate about, um, we tend to veer off topic. But I think we've provided a lot of value today. Uh, but you kind of hit on something there at the very end, uh, as far as like taking the temperature of your culture and as a leader. Um, so maybe if we can you know, sort of wrap this up with some tangibles that the gym owner or, I mean, honestly, like any business owner in general yeah. can take away from this and do a brief little self audit as to, you know, how am I performing as a leader and disseminating the culture amongst my staff? Yeah. Okay. I love it. So I'm going to, um, we're going to publish a, a post here um, probably within the next, well, well, at least within this week, and it'll give a list of a bunch of different things of how to build an irresistible culture. Here's a couple of things off the top of the list. And then I would encourage people to, once we publish the post to look at that list, but one of them is know your people, know people's birthdays, know people's anniversaries, know when people are having hardships, um, know when people are celebrating and know when they're struggling and then let them know that, you know, so easy to say, hard to do. Because say, for example, you have 50 members in your gym or you have 350 members in your gym, right? The way that you do that is you know your closest people. So you know your coaches um, and then you know your key members and then let it trickle down from there. So as you build the kind of the prototype for how you want people to interact with each other, it will be a trickle down effect. So even people who run gyms of 500 members can do it just as effectively as somebody with a, you know, 50 member gym or a 25 member gym. Um, another thing is treat every person you interact with like your friend. So you, as soon as you walk into that gym, the thing that we don't realize is as the leader and as the one in charge, every person that we interact with is looking at us is looking at how we make decisions. It's, they're looking at how we talk to other people. They're looking at how we interact with them or don't interact with them. I'm telling you, one of the reasons why being in a leadership position and it being lonely is because they're, everyone's eyes are on you. And that's what you've signed up for. To be a leader, you've signed up to be an influencer. 
And so one of the things is treat every person you interact with like your friend. Um, another thing is treat work as though it's the most fun thing to do, right? So a lot of people come into the gym and they're like, uh, they're overwhelmed. They have so much going on um, and they, they don't even know where to start. Sit back in your chair or go out and lift something and remind yourself why you started this. You started this because you loved it. Get that love back. Re- redeem your first love of opening a gym and then go to your people um, with that love. I want to pause on that point for a minute, Julie, because I think this is a really, there is this great disconnect between the, the especially in our model, the more boutique fitness or, you know, we're talking like yoga studios, CrossFit gym, it's kind of all the same general model. But we're in a very interesting industry because historically the value proposition in fitness has been very, very low. And we're sort of pioneers in, mm-hmm. in the sense that we're, we're increasing that value proposition significantly. So we're, mm-hmm. actually, we're actually opening these gyms that people use, which right. by nature, if somebody's using a product, it's going to cost more by nature. Yep. Yep, and for sure. And there's never been a bigger disconnect between the customer's perception of what they're paying and what the business owner is making. There's mm-hmm. a huge chasm right there. I mean, most members of your gym think that your fixed costs are zero dollars. That's their <laughs> perception is that yep. all hundred and fifty or two hundred dollars goes right into your pocket. And you as the business owner are struggling every month. And yeah. you're, you're like guys, uh, I'm not even breaking 20% margins on here and I'm freaking out, but your members think that they're lining your pockets. Oh yeah. You need to make them feel like the value that they're getting. You may be stressed out and you may look at them and think, guys, you're barely helping me break even, but you've that has to be an afterthought. You cannot go into your gym with that level of stress or you will turn people off. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's the little things. It's not, you don't need to roll out red carpet. You don't need to have, you know, uh, you don't need to have all these extra things. You don't need to give away t-shirts. You don't need to do things that cost you a lot of money. You just need to engage with your people. You just need to have conversations with them, understand what matters to them, and then speak to those things. I, you know, I watched a, I don't know if it was a show or something, Um, but I saw where this guy would, after every conversation with somebody, he would take notes on them. So he would walk away from them and write, I mean, silly stuff like, um, hates sitting in a jacuzzi, um, or which is like, doesn't even make sense. Right. Or drinks 14 Diet Cokes a day, which is terrible, right? They need to be in a CrossFit gym. Um, but things like that, where they're just little things that differentiate a person because we're all so unique. And so the greatest thing that a gym owner can do is start a list of each of their members and what those things are that make those members really unique. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It just takes you really believing that every person in your gym matters. Mm. Julie, I think that's a great place to leave this today. That was awesome. awesome. Um, Okay. So um, to read, well, so actually we'll, we'll, um, be sure in the show notes to give some kind of teaser on your uh, article that's coming out on leadership because I think that's going to be hugely valuable uh, for all of our listeners. And 
Julie, we sh- are definitely going to make this a regular occurrence because this was, I think, super valuable uh, for everybody. I'd love it. Anytime, for sure. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks. Thanks.